looking today at John chapter 6, verse 15. If you'd turn there, please. Uh, we're not, I'm not preaching again on the feeding of the 5,000. Some of you might be relieved to know that, right, Brother Travis? Uh, I'm not doing that. However, the feeding of the 5,000 did define for us the faith of the disciples. God was out through that miracle. I believe he defined pessimistic faith. He defined questioning faith. And a lot of us fall in that category. But what we're finding out here in this passage this morning is he's going to really grow their faith. How many of you want your faith grown today? Did you know you, don't like, you may not like the process of that growing faith? Because difficulties grow your faith. What did, uh, what did Chris say this morning? I love that he said, you won't know the mountain until you've gone through the valley. Yeah. Now, those of us who have been around a while totally understand that statement. You know, when they just sing, I'm gonna make it. That's a promise from the Lord. That's not, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about making it through a tough time. You know, when you're in a t down and you're going through a tough time and you really don't know how you're going to come out on the other side, I mean, when you really don't know, I mean, you're at that moment, you really, do you understand what I'm saying when I really don't know? Because we, we don't, a lot of us may think, well, I'm, I'm not okay. I've never had that in my life. Let me tell you something. If you've ever had this, that time in your life when you really didn't know what was going to happen, your faith will be tested. And out of that, it will grow. And you know what? Jesus is constantly, constantly, even to this day, he wants to grow our faith. He wants our faith to be refined. He wants it to be pure. He wants it to be strong. And I'm telling you, he's going to constantly go after that in our life. Let's pray, and then we'll get in the message. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this wonderful choir number that it blends right in to what I'm going to preach tonight, today. God, Brother Troy and I didn't discuss it, but God, I thank you for that. I thank you for the songs that were in the worship sets that speak to the fact that, God, you're, <laughs> we still have a reason to praise. God, thank you for that. I pray right now that you would just bless this message. Use it for your glory. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Fear is a crippling and counterproductive emotion. When you think about it, if you've ever been close to an accident, I remember one time I was distracted and I started to go through an intersection and lo and behold, right as I started to go through that without even touching my brake, I realized my light was red. Now, you know what a red light means, right? It means stop. I was going 30, 35, 40 miles an hour. I was distracted. I hadn't even seen the thing. But yet it was a very familiar intersection, one I'd gone through thousands of times, literally. And I started through that intersection, and right as I saw that red light, boy, I slammed the brakes on. And as soon as I did, literally, there was a vehicle went in front of the nose of my car, and I believe it, I believe it almost, I mean, it scared me. My life, my life flashed before me, and after that, I was weak as water. You know the feeling? I mean, cold sweat come down in your forehead. I mean, you're scared. You're thinking, Lord, you, and, and you're, you're promising promise to God you didn't even know you should promise. You know what I'm saying? Lord Jesus, thank you for that moment. 
And that person, of course, wasn't real happy with me that I didn't stop appropriately at the stoplight. I just praised Jesus. There was no uh, unplanned meeting of the two vehicles. You know what I'm saying? Well, fear cripples you. It puts you in a weakened state. And it's something that happens to all of us. As a matter of fact, um, you understand that during this moment, right at this moment, after Jesus fed 5,000, we know that in verses 14 and 15, he says, look at that. It says, then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of the truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into the mountain himself alone. Do you understand that people, when they get blessed... <laughs> When God's power is revealed, they don't understand it, and they make plans for that power themselves. They want to harness it and use it for their own benefit. What they wanted was their power, that power of Jesus to launch a political rebellion. They wanted Jesus to be the king of Israel, get him out from under Roman uh, domination, and they were wanting Jesus to become their next king. Not king of their hearts, but king politically. And they were going to forcibly make him so. And Jesus perceived it. Now, you would think that that alone would be enough for people to take notice. Look in verse 16, and when the evening had now come, his disciples went down into the sea. Now, I want you to understand something here for just a moment. They went to the sea, but when we, when we study this passage, it's also found in Matthew 14. When you study this, this same event in Matthew's version, Matthew 14, you find that that's the passage where Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water. May I say that? I was really tempted to preach that part of it, but that's not in the book of John. I'm going through the book of John, and I want to preach what John thought was important. Now, Peter walking on the water, that's another message. And let me tell you something. We could spend some time on that. But this particular passage, he sends them down. As a matter of fact, we know that Jesus sent them away in Matthew 14, 22. It's in straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship and going before him into the other side while he sent the multitudes away. We find out here that, first of all, he, what's, what they're being done, what's happening here is they're being set up for fear. Now, I used to set my sisters up to scare them. Did you know that's what sisters are for? One of the best purposes for having a sister is to get the fear of something in, built up inside of them and then scare them. The scream is unbelievable. It's, I mean, it's almost addictive. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you really, I mean, I love it. And so what we, I don't love it now. I've grown out of that. But if you've ever scared someone, you know. Uh, let me advise you what not to do. Do not walk in quietly to your wife and grab her leg while she's showering. I, you know, I didn't see for two or three days the swelling took that long to come down. You know what I'm saying? Um, don't do that. But, but what happened was Jesus sent them away from him. 
In other words, he's saying, okay, guys, I want you to go on to the side. I'm going to send the multitudes away. They want me to become king. But then he goes up into the, the mountain, and verse 23 of Matthew 14 tells us to pray alone. You know what comes to my mind? What in the world does Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to this earth to save you and me, what in the world does he have that he needs to be alone on a mountain and pray? What in the world could be so important that Jesus would send his disciples away. I mean, Jesus, the second person of the Godhead. I mean, the Jesus Christ that was there when the world was created. I mean, Jesus Christ that was there when God said, let us make man in our image. I mean, the Jesus Christ that was there in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. What did he want? What did he need to do to go to the mountain and pray? You know what I believe was happening? I really believe this. He said, now, Father... I sent those boys in the boat to the other side. I'm praying for Peter that you'll perfect his faith. I'm praying for James and John. I believe he by name went down all 12 of those disciples' names, and I believe he prayed for them by name on the mountain with God so that they would be strengthened in the moment that he is getting ready to put them through. Did you know right now we, there's an old song that said, someone is praying for you. Did you know where Jesus is right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. Now, let me tell you something. You need to understand, when Jesus sent them away, it seemed like they were alone, but they were never really alone. They were never out of the care of Jesus. They were never out of the concern of Jesus. There never was a moment, though he was on the mountain, they were on the water. There was never a time when Jesus didn't know and didn't control what was going on in their circumstances. Let me tell you something. You may have a, you may have like a galvanized ceiling in your prayer room right now. Have you ever prayed like that? Has there ever been a time when you prayed and you just felt like you weren't getting through? Has there ever been a time when you prayed and you just didn't know what was happening? Let me tell you something. Someone is praying for you this morning. I tell you, we, they were away from the Lord. And you know, that's a setup for fear when you're separated from someone. I used to get afraid when I was away from my parents. I remember spending the night at a friend for the first night. Do anybody remember that? As a kid, I remember it. I was old enough to remember spending the night away from mom and dad, and I remember getting homesick. I could have run home. I was that close. But you know, just being away, you know, we have two daughters. My late wife and I had two daughters. Stacy was the younger of the two. And we had to, every night until she was two years old, walk in and just pat her every night. She'd cry out, and we'd just pat her. You know what, people, you know what the, the grandma started telling us? Stop that. She is manipulating you. I didn't realize that she would continue sleeping if we didn't go in and pat her and say it was okay and soothe her. And I remember one lady said, David, stop that. I said, oh, but she cried. Stop that. But let me tell you what, she was crying out because she just wanted to know we were there. You know, when Christ is alone, when we feel alone, that sets us up for fear. I set my sisters up for fear and setting up for fear. Secondly, they were in familiar surroundings. You understand the Sea of Galilee was nothing for them. 
Seven of the 12 were fishermen. They had expert skills when it comes to sailing the boat. They were not guys that didn't know how to manage a boat. Now, let me tell you something. I like boating. I've rented pontoon boats. Now, they have a, they have a motor. You know what I'm saying? They don't have a sail and all the, the thing that disciples had to do. They had a motor. But have you ever tried to, or the first time, steer a pontoon boat in to get gas? When you see the helpers running, you know you're doing something wrong. <laughs> so I'm no expert with boating, but let me tell you, these guys were. I mean, actually going to the boat by themselves, that was no big deal. They weren't scared. They were used to traveling this way. They were accustomed to their surroundings. And by the way, sometimes when I get in familiar surroundings, my fear is relieved a little bit. But the truth is, we don't, we're not aware of what happens. How many times have you heard on, the, on uh, somebody send a warning out, hey, be careful in parking lots. Be aware of your surroundings because dangerous things can happen. When you get in your surroundings, sometimes we don't even understand what could possibly happen. And I believe these disciples were the same boat. They were in familiar surroundings. They had been there. Familiarity breeds contempt. And sometimes we're so com familiar coming to church. We're so familiar with making our way. Oh, we know how to serve. We know how to tithe. We know how to read our Bible. We know how, what we should say when we pray. And we know all those things. But sometimes familiarity, brings, familiarity breeds contempt. And it causes us, whenever something happens, fear comes into our lives. Because it's out of the norm. Secondly, it was a routine event. It's almost like autopilot. How many of our Christianity is on autopilot? How much of us really are just doing what we do because we know what we're supposed to do? I mean, we're not really engaged. We're just doing what we're supposed to do. Did you know right now, I am, away, I am very concerned about Hillcrest Baptist. Can I be honest? I mentioned this in a prayer group. Jesus went to the mountain to do what? To pray. Did you know we won't disrupt our routine enough to pray? Let me set the stage for you, will you? 2,200 rockets were just fired on Israel. Our economy is tanking. Our society is crumbling morally. Lebanon High School has a gay flag in the high school. Now, I'm not taking, am I right? That's what someone told me. Can I keep going? What I'm saying to you is, listen to me, if there ever was a time that we should be praying, let me get a little more personal, can I? Search committee, you better scotch for me right here. Search committee, are you praying? Have you guys been sending time praying? You know what we've done? We've, we've subbed out our prayer time to the search committee to pray for the next pastor. So you say, David, why you, this is this is Sunday morning. This is you're not supposed to talk about this. Yes, we need to talk about it. Because most of you won't be back tonight. I'm not upset. Listen to me, I'm burdened. Do you understand the difference? I'm burdened for the prayerlessness of Hillcrest Baptist Church. You know what I've actually seen during these days that we're searching for a pastor? It's fewer people at eight o'clock prayer time. I'm not scolding. You may not be able to come. I don't know. But there are people who've been coming, not coming now, and I'm wondering why. What's changed? Are we willing to, are we just on autopilot? We've got a search team. They're doing a great job. We've got confidence in them. They're praying. We don't need to pray. 
And if we do pray, I'm, I'm going to pray over lunch. Lord, and bless the bless search committee. Amen. Are we willing to, uh, you know what? Just, uh, Brother Ray Ferris, tell me if I, uh, did I not tell you that this week? I'm burdened about the prayerlessness of Hillcrest Baptist Church. I'm concerned that when God, it, when and if God sends the right man, that we'll miss it. Because we're not in tune to the same God that's doing the work. Now you say, David, why do you say this? I'm telling you what causes fear. We should not be fearful, no, but we shouldn't be obscure either. We shouldn't leave it up to someone else. We need to be doing our part. Let me tell you, Brother Robert came down and prayed this morning. You know, he's got Parkinson's, all kinds of things. But let me tell you something, that man's a prayer warrior. And we need to have some more of that. It'd be okay if, hey, by the way, this altar is always open, not just during service. If you wanted to come down here and pray right before the service and pray for God sending a man, don't, don't be afraid to do that. By the way, I pray that once we get to the point that we're for sure, I want to see more prayer effort by our church on this matter. Listen to me. We need to pray. If Jesus needed to pray, Lord, help us how much more we need to pray. The setup for fear. Now, let's talk about the sources of fear in verses 17 and 19. And he entered into the ship and went over toward the Capernaum, and it was now dark. I, I, and, and notice what? It was now dark, and Jesus had not, has not, was not come to them. The plan was he would send the, the, send the crowd away. They would start across. He would go to the mountain and pray. He would come down and meet them somewhere on another shore point where they would pick him up. That was the plan. And he was not with them. Did you know that being in darkness causes fear? I didn't ask about if you're afraid of the dark. Some of you are grown people, and I hate to ask you that and embarrass you. But can I tell you, I don't like the dark. I don't mind the dark if I have a bright flashlight. And I can see everything. Uh, but let me tell you something. We have a bright light, don't we not, in this world? But don't tell me this world's not dark. Man, there's all kinds of darkness. Matthew 6, 23 says, But if thine eye be evil, thine whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Ephesians 4, 18 says, Having the understanding darkness, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of the heart. Let me tell you something. We live in a spiritually dark world world and they're blinded by their own ignorance i'm not mad i'm burdened we have to understand that being in the darkness and in this world let me tell you something young people brother terry said it great this morning prayer time he said we need to encourage and pray for our young people they're facing things that i never dreamed of and a lot of it i don't have it with me I, a lot of it's on that crazy cell phone that we carry around and it goes beyond that. Listen, y'all, I'm praying for y'all. I love you, and we're here for you. You understand that? We are here for you. And I want you to know not just that, though, but then you go out, you grow up, and you think, oh, boy, you go to college. Whoa, that's a fun time. 18 to 35 ages, the highest percentage of people walking away from faith. Because they encountered somebody in college, Bart Ehrman, a professor at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, which I don't pull for. That's just a joke. Some, 
He stands in front of his class, a religion class, and says, how many of you believe in Jesus? They raise their hand, by the end of this class, you won't. That's his goal. He actually, taught, he actually talked to a boy of mine that I taught in a, a, a Christian school. He had his PhD, was working there. They got in conversation. He walked away from faith. Listen, tell me, the darkness of this world is great and powerful, and we better have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and the Word of God inside of us to battle it. Let me tell you something. It, it, we, don't, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But the battle is real. Let me tell you something. This darkness is unbelievable, being in darkness, being without Jesus. Don't forget, Jesus wasn't with them yet. Oh, they, Jesus was there. You know that. He was controlling everything, but they couldn't see him. Sometimes in your life, do you feel like Jesus isn't there? Is your sin account so unforgiven that your fellowship with Jesus is broken? And you don't even sense his presence anymore. Do you remember that day when you were right with Jesus? Do you remember that time in your life when you sensed the presence of Jesus? Oh, how sweet it was. What a wonderful time to spend with Jesus. But now you've gotten away from the Lord. Maybe you're, you've decided that, hey, you're bored with that. You're going to try something else. Maybe there's sin in your life. And God, we know that our iniquity hinders our talk with the Lord. And that sin account is not dealt with. Let me tell you something. You will feel away from Jesus when that happens. There'll be a time when you'll feel without Jesus, being in the darkness, being without Jesus. And verse 18, being in a storm. Look at verse 18. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. When you're in a storm, sometimes it causes fear. I'm in a storm. I'm going to share with you a storm that came in my life. I've shared it with the staff. I've shared it with different people. And they said, David, you really need to share this with our church. And I've shared parts of it before. I asked Denise this morning. I said, Denise, is okay if I share this? Because it's before Denise and I got together. You understand, November 2nd, praise Jesus, I've been married to a wonderful Christian lady, Denise Jane Rayburn Rhodes, for 10 years. Yeah. And, uh, but before that, I was married to a wonderful Christian lady named Tamara for 30 years. This time of year, it always brings around this storm in my life. For you see, my birthday is the middle of the month on the 16th of October. I was in the hospital, I mean, I was getting this procedure done yesterday, an endoscopy, and the little nurse that was waiting on me. Her birthday is the 16th of October. Now, we, we had a little birthday party right there. But anyway, the 16th of October. Well, in 2011, on the 16th of October, we celebrated my birthday on, the, on that Sunday by having a choir party. Now, when we had a party with the choir, we had 90 people in the choir, 25 in the orchestra. We had a big group. And they had a big party for my birthday. I was 53 years old that year. That was on the 16th on Sunday. On Monday, I went to pick up my granddaughter from a Christian school, picked her up, and came home. And on the way home, she said, he called, she called me Daddy D. Daddy D, can we go ride bikes? Seven years old, beautiful fall day. Hey, perfect day to ride bikes. We got out, got our helmets on, got our bikes uh, range, and, and Tam came out and said, hey, can I come with you? She was working from home, and I said, sure. So she said, she said I'll meet you. So we started down this private road right across our street, me and my granddaughter at seven years old. 
And the only thing I told Tam before she got on the bike, she had her cell phone in her hand. She said, can I take this phone? Do you think it's okay if I take the phone and I may, may get a call? I said, as long as you stop the bike and use the phone. You know, sometimes protection comes in warnings, you know what I'm saying? Now, please, I'm not bl blaming anybody, but I want you to know that. Young people, listen to people when they warn you about things. Don't drive and use your phone. Now, you've got a teenager, you should have said real loud amen right there. We went down this road, my daughter and I, my granddaughter and I, and my wife was coming down the road. She waved at us real big. And on this road, she hit a speed bump. P.E. major, wrecked her bicycle, fell and hit her head on the asphalt. I ran over to her, first one there. She didn't know who I was. I said, Tam, squeeze my, squeeze my hand if, if you hear me. She didn't squeeze my hand. The ambulance that I called, I, I, ran, I asked my granddaughter to leave. The ambulance that we called was just a few minutes away. The kids that you understand this term, the kids that were driving the ambulance I'd taught in high school. They knew me and Miss Tamra. They rushed as quickly as they could to get her loaded, code three, running all the way as fast as we run to the hospital. We get that, now that was on Monday after my birthday on Sunday. Her birthday is the 19th, meaning it's coming on Wednesday. Her parents were traveling from Illinois to North Carolina to celebrate her birthday on Wednesday. They were en route to come celebrate a birthday. We were in the hospital, the emergency room. They ended up clearing out a pod in the emergency room to accommodate her and the two waiting rooms full of people waiting to see her. That's the kind of person she was. And that was absolutely my deepest storm I had ever gone you say, Brother David, what happened? Well, I wish I could tell you they were able to discover what was wrong and she would heal, but let me tell you something. That started that afternoon about 5 o'clock on Monday, and at 3.15 Tuesday morning, the Lord took my wife, Tamara, to be with him. And I remember that ache. Now, I was a preacher. I'm a pastor. I have read and preached and given verses to all of many people about how to get through a moment like this. I had taught people about grief. I had done funerals. And I know some of you here today have gone through very similar what I just shared. But is that not a storm? Let me tell you something, though. What came out of that is people got saved. God used that moment, and I would, I'll never forget the day I was, I didn't know what to do. Her parents were coming. I had to tell them. They stopped in the hotel. I called them and told them that she had passed away. Oh, my goodness. They came on, and instead of having her birthday celebration on Wednesday, we had her homegoing celebration on Friday of that week. Now, you listen to me. I know, and here's what I told the Lord after I went and bought the plot and planned with the funeral home, most of the funeral. I turned on our street, going back to that home where I would be by myself, except for the people there, but you know what I'm talking about. And I told the Lord this. I said, Lord, I'm not special. I've, I've told, shared this before. I don't deserve anything else, but let me tell you something. God ministered to my soul at that moment. 
If there ever was a time that I sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit, it was at that moment when I thought I was alone, but I wasn't alone. Fear? Absolutely. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know if I was going to have to step out of ministry. I didn't know if I had to resign. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just didn't know how this works. Let me tell you something. These men, always familiar. I knew what I was doing. These men are in the same situation. What happened is they were in a storm, a life-threatening storm. Maybe you've been through a storm like that or you're in one right now. That will cause fear. Let me tell you something. If you've ever had fear in your life, that'll cause it. And number four, being tired. Verse 19 says that so when they rode about 25 or 30 furlongs. Now that is 3.3 miles. They had rode in the storm that far out into the sea. Mark chapter 6, verses 47 through 49 said they saw what they thought was a ghost. You know who it was? Jesus. Remember the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace? How many did they throw in? Three. How many did they see in there? Four. Let me tell you something. There's never a storm in your life, in my life, or anyone's life that Jesus isn't there. Oh, you may not see it. You may not recognize it at first. But let me tell you something. Jesus is there. He's right there with you. And he did not forget those young those, those uh, disciples that day. 2 Corinthians for, uh, chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 said, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not for forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. Let me tell you something. Jesus doesn't plan the storm to destroy you. If you're destroyed by a storm, it's not his fault. If you look at some storm in your life to blame him for where you are now, you're wrong. Those are, that's how... <laughs> That's the sources of fear. Let's talk about the solution of fear. I'm going to move quickly. Verses 20 and 21, I love this. But he saith unto them, <laughs> it is I. See, they, verse 19, I, I didn't finish that. They, say, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh to the ship, and they were afraid. They thought he was a ghost. They didn't, rec they didn't know who it was. He said, it is I. Be not afraid. There are some solutions to the fear. First of all, in verse 20, I believe in believing him. Do you really believe Jesus today? Because the, if you believe Jesus, you're going to believe this right here. You're going to believe the word of God. What I want you to understand, here's what I have trouble believing. I have trouble believing that Jesus is the solution to my past. Because you see, I, my past is something that constantly beats on me, constantly tries to defeat me. And the Bible says that your sin and my sin are removed as far as the what? East is from the west. Let me tell you something. That's a pretty good distance. Once you start going east, 
you'll never go west. I'm so glad that our, he can take our past, whatever it is. Yes, Chris, even tattoos. He can take it all the way through the back and, and, and forgive it. My future, I'm concerned about my future. Young people, you may be sitting here saying, hey, I'm nervous about my future. I'm fearful about my future. Let me tell you something. His word will give you confidence for your future because he says, lo, I'm with you always, even into the end of the world. And then right now, the present. Right now, where I live, every day. I mean, when I wake up today, when I wake up tomorrow, when I go through my daily routine, the Bible tells us in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm telling you, God's word speaks to your situation. John 16, says, these things have I spoken to you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Thank you, Brother Albert, for sharing that this morning. I'm telling you for sure that right now, Jesus is with us. He doesn't plan for anything to take you over. He has overcome the world. What you do, you think about it when you're on the airplane. How many have been on the airplane? There was turbulence. You ever been on one of those? Yeah. And uh, you're sitting in the seat, all of a sudden you're not sitting in the seat. Uh, you're sitting in the seat and all of a sudden, I mean, you know, I'm the kind of guy I put the, the seatbelt on when they tell us to, taking off and landing. But in between, I may just decide to take it off. And uh, just as sure as I do, turbulence. You know what the, the, the pilot says? Uh, we... Just had a little turbulence. Duh. <laughs> We're going to ascend, ascend to elevation 35,000 feet to find some smooth air. Do you know what he didn't say he's going to do? He's going to correct that turbulence. In other words, the turbulence is still there. But his focus was going to adjust by changing. Listen, tell me, when you're a turbulence here on earth, yeah. <laughs> you need to refocus to a higher elevation. You need to find smooth air that's in Jesus Christ and know that he's there to provide it. When we refocus and we believe his word, we can adjust our focus. First of all, by believing him. Secondly, by sensing him. By sensing him, the presence. We talk, believe in him, the word of God, by sensing him, the presence of Jesus. Verse 20, he said, Be, uh, he said to them, it is I. Boy, that word. You know what that one Greek word is? It's the same Greek word that says, I am. You get that? It's a Greek word that says, I am. Now, you know, for me to say I am, it's like, okay, oh, that's all right. But Jesus in the book of John has 14, minimum, 14 different I am statements. And guess what? Uh, just in case you wonder about how strong that I am statement, in John 18, verses 5 and 6, he was in the garden being arrested. They answered him, Jesus Nathers. Jesus saith unto him, them, I am. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with him. And as soon as the, he said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. How would you like that? Well, he says, I am. And all of a sudden, boom. I am. Boom. Now, if somebody's picking on me, I'd like for Jesus to come along and say, I am. Boom. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Let me tell you how strong his word is. He spoke the world in existence. He said, let there be. He spoke the world. I'll tell you how strong his word is. He, there's not a storm in your life that he can't calm. Let me tell you, Jesus and in that presence, I'm talking about the presence, the all-powerful, the almighty God. In his presence, we can have our fear 
taken care of. Moses in the burning bush, you remember him standing there, the bush was burning, but it wasn't being consumed. And Moses said, who do, who, who do I know you? He had tired feet of famine. Now, I'm not making fun of you. If you have a, a difficulty, Brother Travis, I, who would have known Brother Travis had a stuttering issue? Man, that guy can preach like crazy. I'm telling you what, brother, praise the Lord, he sure healed you well. I'll tell you that. But anyway, Moses had a speech impediment. And I'm not making fun. He did. He even Aaron was a spokesperson. We know that God worked through that. He didn't take the speech impediment away. But he had a speech impediment. And so he said, okay, God, you know that I can't talk plain. Who am I supposed to say to tempt me? He, you know what he said? I am. I am. I'm telling you, when Jesus says that, I'm telling you what, you can, uh, you can take it to the bank that your fear will be gone. Kind of reminds me when my child was afraid of a dog. So I used to have two daughters, I told you that. And, of course, being the dad that I am, I, w I couldn't be afraid of the dogs because they were. Although I, some dogs kind of scare me sometimes. Don't bring a pit bull around me. I get scared, okay? And they sense it and they want to gnaw my leg off. But anyway, uh, my daughter was running from a dog that would... You know, a little bit of yap dog, they're not going to hurt you, but she didn't know it. And she was small enough that she came running to me. And, buddy, she came running up. I scooped her up. Of course, you know, as dad, you feel like you're the big Superman. They're looking, get back, yap dog, get him. you back here. Hold on. And you know what she did? She looked down at that baby. I mean, that dog, watch. She looked at the dog a little bit, looked at me, looked at the dog, and she goes, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Let me tell you something. We need to run to the arms of Jesus and look at that storm in his presence and say, na 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 Receiving him, the reality of Jesus, verse 21, they willingly received him. Some of you won't do that today. There are some in this room that need to receive Jesus to settle the fears in your life and the storms in your life, but you won't because I don't know why. I, I, Brother, Brother Terry said, I don't know why you don't witness, right? I don't know why. Well, why don't, you, why don't you accept Jesus? I don't know why. It's the best deal in town. It's the best deal in the world. He gave everything so you can have everything. He gave his life so you can live. I mean, why, why will you not accept Jesus? Because you don't believe. That's why. Not really. See, by receiving him, the reality changes your... There are two painters that were asked to paint a portrait of peace. One painter painted this beautiful sunset over calm, smooth water. And certainly, that seemed like peace. The other painter painted this horrific storm with all the waves and the wind and all the damage that the storm does. But in the corner, he painted a little bird that was singing in the storm. Now, that's peace. Jesus wants us in his presence, in the reality that Jesus is who he said he is, he wants us to sing in that storm. There are two results of, it, of receiving him. He raises your fears, and he'll calm any storm. I want you to see that, and they willingly received him, and immediately the, the ship was at the land whither they went. Now, that's a miracle some people overlooked. He's in the middle of the lake, 3.3 miles out. Sudi gets in the boat. Whoop. They're, at the, they're at the next coast. I want to give you, I want to apply this just for a moment if I can, please. And I'm, I'm, I'm winding down here. Would you turn to Mark chapter 6? Mark chapter 6. 
Turn to Mark chapter 6, verse 51. <clears throat> this is the Mark's version, his version of what happened. Don't forget, now he just fed 5,000. Disciples were there. 12 baskets of food were collected. Some people say one for each uh, disciple. I'm not sure of that because I can't help but think that Jesus would not owe a little boy who gave his lunch. I'm not sure that those 12 baskets for the disciples or to go to that little boy and said, hey, bud, you're going to have something to eat for a while. I don't know. But I will say this, that they were witness to that miracle. And verse 51 says, and he went up into the ship and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. The number one reason we struggle with the bad times is that we forget the God of the good times. We struggle with storms because we forget the sunshine. We forget the blessings and we fear the struggles. I don't know where you are this morning. You may be in a storm similar to what I just talked about. I got a text from someone, Rachel shared it with me, one of our members who's in California with her daddy who has been diagnosed with terminal cancer. They just really committed deeply to the Lord on a personal matter that I've been praying with them about. I'm not going to share it. It's private. But I know what's going on in their life, and I'm thinking, God, please, let them make it through this storm. Because you never know the effect of what difficulties bring. I don't want their hearts hardened. Do you have a soft heart this morning? Will you let the Holy Spirit massage your soul and keep you open to his goodness and his miracles? Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know where you stand today. I'm going to ask our musicians to please take their place. But I believe this morning God is calling Hillcrest Baptist out of our prayerlessness I don't, I don't think it's just because I preached it this morning. I think it's what God wants from us and expects from us, and he should. We need to stop being prayerless. But I believe there are people here this morning that's going through a storm, going through a tough time. And you haven't received Christ joyfully. There are things in your heart that you're going through that you're struggling with. Here's where you deal with it right here. Let me also say this. Don't be afraid to tell somebody about your storm so we can help you bear it and get through it. It took all seven of those, those fishermen to do everything they could, but when Jesus got in there, things were taken care of. I wonder, do you want to be relieved of your fear and your, your, your storm calmed? Oh, you've got to get through it. You've got to get to the other side but he'll, he'll take you. How many of you say, Brother David, that's me. 